This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. This month's unemployment rate is on track to be the worst in 70 years, and those hardest hit are the workers who can least afford it. And despite all this, we salute a huge outpouring of generosity from our audience. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. For years, we were told aspirin can help prevent heart attacks. Now comes this warning from the Heart and Stroke Foundation. A daily dose of aspirin could do more harm than good for those at low risk of stroke or heart disease. The recommendations published this week say acetylsalicylic acid, or ASA, should not be taken as a preventive measure for those who do not have a history of stroke, heart, or vascular disease. A new study suggests scents alter how memories are processed in the brain. Researchers have found that the power of smells could be used in treating memory-related disorders. The author, a Boston University neuroscientist, says odor can re-energize memory and possibly eliminate traumatic ones. The study is published in Learning and Memory. Woody Allen's controversial memoir has been published after all. Released this week without any fanfare by Arcade Publishing, after publisher Hachette pulled it following public outrage. Among them, Dylan Farrow, who alleges she was molested by her famous father in the 90s. Allen has denied any wrongdoing and was never charged. Apropos of nothing is a candid and personal account by the 84-year-old Allen about his life. It's the ultimate irony, Passover, the Jewish holiday that's celebrated with large gatherings and, among other things, commemorates the ten biblical plagues, is being hammered by the virus pandemic. The London Rabbinical Court has loosened dietary rules with a list of non-kosher products recommended for quarantined families, those struggling financially, and for older people in isolation who are unable to shop or have Pesach products delivered to their home. In addition, all hand sanitizers have been approved for use on Passover, which begins April 8th. The British singer, famous for entertaining troops during World War II, is using her 103rd birthday this week to call on her country to pull together amid the virus pandemic. We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Dame Vera Lynn performing her signature song, We'll Meet Again, that boosted spirits all those years ago, seems relevant again. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
The economic devastation of COVID-19 is affecting us all, but the hardest hit are those least able to afford it, low-wage workers and women. Two in five making $14 an hour or less and one in three earning $14 to $16 an hour are at risk of immediate job loss or have been laid off already. I reached David McDonald of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. What I did is I, I went to the, uh, the labour force survey that has a big record of everyone who's worked and I picked out the key industries that are going to be hit hardest and first by forced business closures due to COVID-19. This is uh, retail, food and hospitality, arts, culture, sports, and airlines. Uh, and just pick the frontline workers. So we don't have any of the managers or the bosses or the people driving the trucks, just frontline workers. And of those people, that uh, there's about 2 million people that fit those criteria. Um, in the estimates here, I think probably about 1.5 of them have been laid off or will be laid off in the coming week. Um, and what that means is that if we look at uh, workers who make $14 an hour or less, Two out of five of them are in this group uh, of people that are at immediate risk of layoff. One out of three workers making between $14 and $16 an hour are also in this group at risk of immediate layoff. But as you go further up the income spectrum, it becomes less likely that you're in this first wave of layoff. So if you're making over $40 an hour, for instance, only really a 1% chance that you'd be let off in this first wave. So really hard hit in terms of uh, lower paid workers. Women are uh, slightly more likely to be laid off than men. Um, and younger workers in particular look like they're going to be very hard hit by these initial layoffs. They went into this with a 10% unemployment rate. Uh, and it looks like by the end of March, it'll be 33%. What will the unemployment rate as a whole be like at the end of March? It looks like from these projections, uh, the unemployment rate going in, uh, in at the end of February was 5.9%. Um, it looks like we'll probably come out at the end of March at 13.5%. Now, of course, those are just numbers without context. Um, to give you some idea of how how devastating this is, 13.5% uh, would be the worst month of unemployment since at least the Second World War. Wow. Um, it'd be, it, you know, it might not come out to quite the worst, depending on how, uh, you know, I mean, this is an estimate after all. Um, just for reference sake, the worst month so far that we have on record was 13.1%, and that happened in the winter of 1982 during the 81-82 recession. So this is extremely bad. Uh, could be could be the worst month in 70 years for unemployment in Canada. What about part-time workers? Part-time workers, again, I mean, very likely to be in this group uh, of, uh, you know, in these key industries, frontline workers. So about a quarter of all part-time workers are at risk of immediate layoff. Um, and that's not that surprising, I mean, given the, given the industries that we're looking at. But I think it just gives you some picture of who are the people who, uh, you know, through no fault of their own, have been laid off. They want to work. Their employers want to employ them. They're able to work. Um, but we have been forced by this public health crisis to say, you can't work. Uh, so they are making the sacrifice for everybody else to try to keep everybody else safe willingly, potentially unwillingly as well. Um, and so I think it's important that we understand who these workers are and that we support them in this time, given that uh, they're the ones making the sacrifice so everybody else can stay safe and the virus won't spread as quickly. The government has just unveiled some major new measures, and one of the thoughts behind this new emergency benefit is that employers don't have to lay off their people in order to let their people collect money. They can just say, we can't afford to pay you. Is that 
helpful? It, it is very helpful. Uh, I mean, this new uh, Canada Emergency Response Benefit, or CERB, essentially replaces EI. I mean, essentially, they turned the, they turned the sign on the door on EI to close. Uh, and now everyone's essentially going to be driven into this new CERB program. It's a much better, more modern program that's going to be much faster. It moves money out much more predictably than the EI system would. Uh, and in fact, for this first round of workers on the front line of these major industries that uh, that aren't essential services, 84% of workers uh, are better off under the CERB than they would have been under EI. Uh, most of them are better off because EI wouldn't have paid as much as the CERB. Um, and then there's also a bunch that wouldn't have qualified at all for EI because they didn't have enough hours. And so obviously, in that case, the CERB uh, is better for them as well. I mean, I'd certainly argue that you know, you could make more from EI. The EI cap was 573 a week, whereas the CERB would give you the equivalent of 462 a week. So EI is potentially about $100 more. But the crush of applications that have come in in the past week has, has eventually broken a fragile EI system. And so it's probably better to get your 462 a week now than wait three months to get your 573 a week that you would have gotten from EI because the system's so overloaded, it can't it can't uh, can't manage the payment schedule. But what about small and medium sized business? The criticism is that there is virtually nothing there for them. The prediction is that they might be hollowed out. So where will a lot of these people go back to work if if businesses go under? Yeah, this is the other big issue. Is that this is a very positive benefit for workers. I mean, it does allow businesses to quote unquote furlough their workers, which is to say. Uh, lay them off, you get this benefit, and hopefully then they can come back when this crisis is passed uh, and these restrictions are lifted. Um, however, businesses uh, have other fixed costs. Of, you know, they have the variable cost of their employees, but they have fixed costs. They've got to pay, um, you know, they've got to pay uh, the rent. Uh, they've got to pay utilities, and they have to pay probably payments on equipment that they might have in store. Um, and so at present, we don't have a lot of details on what those folks would do. You think that the government will, in the coming days and weeks, move to do something to help small and medium-sized business? I think probably what what may need to happen is this, as this crisis continues, depending on how long businesses have to be closed, is there will likely have to be direct support for, for minimal uh, fixed costs for small businesses, things like uh, paying the rent, uh, paying utilities, just to, just to keep the businesses afloat. Um, in the short term. David McDonald, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. That was David McDonald of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We're hopeful that individuals over the, the course of the week will choose to make an online donation. So again, you can do it on at home. They don't need to, to go anywhere. If they For every dollar they donate, the Sprott Foundation is going to, to match that. And they uh, have indicated that they will donate uh, $100,000. And that's huge. That was Daily Bread Food Bank CEO Neil Hetherington making a plea on our Fight Back show last Monday. He was gobsmacked by the response from our audience... And so were we. What happened after you were on the air with us? It was amazing. I asked your your listeners if they would consider uh, making a contribution so that we could uh, bring some sort of hope and and fulfill a need that so many in the city are experiencing. And within one hour's time, we were almost at $100,000 raised. 
And by the end of that evening, uh, closer to 7 p.m., there was $120,000 raised from that single question put out to uh, to those listening to your show. And so I, when that happened, I, uh, I I saw the data and I, I was just blown away. And so I, um, I I sent the chart, the hourly chart of the donations to your producer, and said, "Look at this." And hence the conversation that we're having now to be able to say thank you to those who uh, who made a contribution. I've got to say I I am blown away by the generosity of our audience. I mean, this is a time of financial hardship for most people. It is, and it just it speaks uh, volumes about the values of those who are uh, listening. This has been a tumultuous time, a sense of anxiety, not only from a health perspective, but from a financial perspective. And for your listeners to say, we care, uh, and to to step up to the plate and to uh, to make a contribution brings some sense of joy to this very difficult situation. I know that you are collaborating with other food banks and other types of, of charities. What are they finding in terms of, you know, people's willingness to donate at this time? Well, I, I think it's it's still early days. I think the the food banks generally across the country have been working very hard to be able to pivot and reconstruct many of our operational norms. You know, we lost a number of food banks across the city. And uh, and so to be able to get those back online, to be able to get the drivers uh, in place, took some some work. But we're working more uh, closely together. You know, Daily Bread and, and North York Harvest together uh, serve the Toronto area, and we have been exchanging uh, food. We've been exchanging information. We've been uh, coordinated on uh, on trucking and and so many other activities that it, it is heartwarming to see that uh, that the most difficult situations bring out the best in a lot of people. What can you say in general about people's response to need uh, again at this time when everybody's suffering? You know, uh, well, first on the need side of things. So two weeks ago, our uh, new Toronto location experienced a 12% growth of the number of clients. So 12% in one week. And then this week, we're on track to exceed over 20% growth in the number of clients. And that's that's on top of the you know in Toronto there's uh, the the daily bread serves about fifteen thousand families a week uh, before this all started, and so there's an incredible burden and strain on uh, on on those who are providing uh, food to individuals experiencing poverty. You mentioned some numbers of increases, twelve percent in one week, followed yeah. by twenty percent. How long would it normally? take for you to experience or what would it normally take for you to experience an increase like that? Our growth between 2018 and 2019, so the annual growth, was 7%. This is uncharted territories for us. Wow. So, and is there a difference in the makeup of the people who, who need your services, who need food banks? Well, we're seeing a lot of uh, of new uh, faces to uh, to the food banks. The the makeup of individuals who who make use of food banks uh, to begin with, uh, many people may, might be surprised that forty four percent of individuals who have to make use of a food bank have a post secondary education in Toronto, and so we're talking about the individuals that you sit beside on the bus that are. Um, uh, working alongside you, that are serving a coffee to you at, at a uh, at a diner, 
they're just regular individuals who the cost of living exceeds the cost uh, or the income available to them. Many are are seniors uh, and disabled. We will be rolling out very soon a program to be able to get food to individuals who are self-isolated and have no means to get out of their uh, their home. And uh, and so we're working on these programs, and uh, and we're going to be there for for those that are are really in distress right now. Finally, Neil, do you want to say anything directly to our audience? On behalf of uh, of the board of directors and the volunteers of, of uh, Daily Bread, I just want to say thank you. It's needed and it's appreciated. Okay. And thank you, Neil. Thanks, Libby. That was the Daily Bread Food Bank's Neil Hetherington thanking the Zoomer Radio audience for incredible generosity. Brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.